want to talk to you today about being on the road to reverence. I've been sharing with you, in, at least in snippets of messages and alluding to it, that this is a year that God has placed on my heart that we be sensitive to worship, be sensitive to reverencing God, to revering who He is. There's not a person in the room that would willingly do something that would dishonor God. I believe that with all my heart. I, I don't believe that we have a people or are a people that would ever want to dishonor or disgrace God. Would you agree with that? I don't think any of us ever would do that. But I will say that many times when we come into God's presence and come to God's house, while we may not willingly dishonor or disgrace God, we don't give Him the full honor He deserves. Would you agree with that? I don't think that we give Him sometimes the full honor He deserves. There may be a lot of reasons for that. There may be uh, the reason that you're just used to me and you know that you're going to hear from me. And really, I'm certainly not God. But I wonder if God was behind the pulpit, how different would a service be? How about you? Would it be different? Would it be different? How many would be worried about the time? How many would care who's playing this afternoon? Methodists could beat us to the restaurants, amen? Wouldn't matter, would it? In church, God isn't behind the pulpit quite the way that I described. But every time we meet in God's house with God's Word, we have God in our presence. We have God in our presence when we come to God's house. Don't ever take that for granted. Don't ever feel like we're coming for just another meeting. I, I know that, that I preached on out of this Scripture not too long ago, and I really tried to get out of doing it today, but I just felt like this is where I needed to go. And, and, and it's important to see what God wants to say to us here. Now, of course, Isaiah 6, as we read it in just a moment, will be the account of Isaiah's call to be a prophet. And there's a lot of things we could say about that. I've shared that with you before. I don't know how much in depth I'll get into that. It just depends on the direction we go. But one thing you need to take out of, if nothing else today, is to see the scene in the throne room and the reverence and the attitude and the atmosphere that is there. If you can catch that today from this message, I'll be happy. I'll feel like we've done our job. And more importantly, I believe God would be honored and blessed because we did that today. Because there's a lot of things we could say, a lot of details to bring out. And this is that this, man, I could preach out of this every other week and I wouldn't mind because I love it that much. But I want you to see the atmosphere and the attitude 
in the house of God. And I want you to ask yourself, how would you react in that situation? And how do you react in this situation? Would you stand with me as we read Isaiah 6, 1-7? It says that in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. And above it stood seraphim, each one had six wings, with two He covered His face, with two He covered His feet, and with two He flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the post of the door were shaken by the voice of Him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he has taken from the tongs of the altar. And he touched my mouth with it, and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. Please pray with me. Lord, thank You today for this time together. God, we just need to hear from You today. We just need to know what You'd say. God, we need to hear what Your voice says. Thank You that we can do that. Thank You we have Your Word. Thank You that we have Scripture. God, today speak to us. About any force, in Jesus' name, that would keep Your precious Word from being planted. Lord, I bind in Jesus' name the enemy that would love to distract Your people. God, He'll not have victory today because the victory is already Yours. Touch us with Your Word. Change our lives forever. It's a huge task, but not too huge for You. In Jesus' name, Amen. The road to reverence as we talk about the holiness of God. This is a wonderful, wonderful story in the Bible that I believe to be 100% true. It happened. It's in the Word. It's not a story. It doesn't come out of a quarterly. It's true. It's God's Word. And... In this account of Isaiah's call to be a prophet, it tells us that he was called in the same year that King Uzziah died and there was a lot of wonder and a lot of curiosity about how things would go now and he was distraught because the king had passed. You ever had one of those moments as, what next? What do we do now? There's been a lot of those times in, in history where a tragedy struck Certainly the Kennedy assassination left people in the 60s with the feeling, what do we do now? 
when we look in my lifetime at certain crises and, and 9-11 and different things that have taken place that have changed and shook our lives and changed them forever, we have that expression and that thought, well, what now? But how many times in your life have you had a God moment and He spoke and the response is, what now? as I prayed earlier today, that I don't need in this service to be lifted up. Did you hear that? I don't need today to walk out those doors feeling good about myself. I really don't. Does that surprise you a bit? Because that's why we come so many times. It's to get a good feeling and we say we need to be encouraged and lifted up. But Jesus said in Scripture that if He be lifted up, He would draw all men unto Him. A service is not about lifting me up, making me feel good, pumping my little ego. The service is about everything about God. Whatever happens for God, that's what needs to happen. Did you know that if I get convicted and leave here under conviction today and God sent that, then so be it. Did you know that if God sent something in my mind that, that I have not done and I need to do and I need to get it right, and if God tells me in the middle of the service that I need to come to one of you and apologize and put myself on the floor and look humble, did you know that's, that's the, what needs to happen? We make a service about feeling good. I want to tell you, I already feel good because Jesus saved me. That's a good enough feeling that if I never feel good any more than that, that'll take me to glory. I'll be okay. But in our minds, we have reduced a service in God's house much like an air pump to where God and the preacher hook you up with the nozzle and we get to pumping. And the problem is that God's people are leaky. And I can't get enough air in you before you start blowing out. We don't need to come to God's house just to get pumped up. God saved you, so you're pumped up. I said God saved you. You're pumped up. There, there ain't no words I can add to that to make it any better. I, I can't decorate it any prettier than that. You're saved. What do you need me for to tell you that, that, that how good it is? You ought to be living it. Amen? I should... Oh, man. I shouldn't have to be describing your salvation to you because you ought to know. I shouldn't have to tell you how good and great God is because you ought to come in here telling me. But we express a service differently and think about a service differently because we want to come and, and feel good. Now don't get me wrong, church. I like to feel good. 
But when I read Isaiah's account of coming face to face with God, Isaiah didn't feel good. It was the contrary. And God made provision for him to be all right. But I never got the sense in that story that, that he ever just bust out laughing and just felt so good. I, I don't think Isaiah left the temple in, 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 that, in that vision that he had. I, I don't think he could walk out and say, man, this was a good service today. He probably didn't say anything as he took it all in and tried to figure it out. And, and it's important to catch what's happening here so we understand what God wants. As we look at these principles today, I have three. But, but I do want to share this with you. I shared with you in the Scripture did that Uzziah died. Of course, Uzziah was really the last good king that Israel had. And the nation really never regained any kind of glory, any kind of status. They never got back up to any kind of prominence after Uzziah died. So you can understand why Isaiah is upset, why he's questioning what's going to happen next. It was under Uzziah that some of Israel's greatest enemies were taken, you know, the Philistines, the Arabians, the Ammonites, and any other ites you want to put in there. A lot of good stuff happened under Uzziah. And it was during this time of, of depression and despair that Isaiah went to the temple to seek God. And it was through this call that he was reminded that man, even at his best, is just man. Not too much big to us. God is the only one holy. Amen, church? God is the only one eternal. God is the only one holy. He's the only one eternal. He's the only one who is worthy of any praise that we can give. And every time we get an opportunity, we need to just praise God. As we look at this today, I just have really three principles to share. The first one, <coughs> excuse me, is this one. <coughs> God is holy and worthy of reverence. God is holy and worthy of reverence. You see that all through verse 1 through 4. You see that His throne is where? High and lifted up. Have you ever noticed in a church house that the pulpit is a little bit elevated? It is. And I'll submit to you, it's not because I'm high and lifted up. And it's not just because that's the way it works and you see things better. But there needs to be in the worship of God an elevation of God's Word in some way. Now this is just positional. I mean, I could stand down here, you know I do, at times, and I read Scripture and I do those things, and there's nothing wrong with that. But where the pulpit is, it reminds us that there is supposed to be a special time in God's house and God's service that God's Word is read and meditated on and expounded on. It needs to happen in the service. 
I think as Tommy and I were talking earlier this week, that sometimes we, we think, well, we're having this at the church, and oh, it's okay to do this and do that. But really, and Tommy reminded me of this, and it's very true, that every time people come to God's house, even if it's for a fellowship, even if it's just for something that, that may not be in the sanctuary, there ought to be some sort of mention of God's Word. And, and really take it farther than that. What would be wrong doing it at your house when you're visiting with your friends? Or, or grilling in your carport? Or fishing? Or golfing? What would be wrong with, with bringing something about God? Every time you meet, because really, if we're so serious about the church isn't a building and it's here, and I go golfing with some of my church buddies, my Christian friends, then why, why doesn't the church take place out on the golf course? Oh, we save that for Sunday. We've got to work that up. It's got to be just proper, you know. I hear all the time, oh, I can worship God at other places. Well, let's start seeing that happen. I'm not intimidated by it. Get going. I'd probably get... Oh, man, I might get in trouble. But I'd give you an excuse. If you'd, if you'd not hear some Sunday and feel led to go someplace else, have another service at another place, just tell me ahead of time and I'll be praying for you. Because we don't just want to... Restrict God moving in the wall. Aren't you glad God just doesn't move in here? Sometimes we're concerned, will He move in here? And I'm glad He don't just move in a church house. God is holy and He's worthy of reverence. His throne is high and lifted up. Look, look back. Look, look back at what it says. In the year that He died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. High! Lifted up the train of his robe, filled the temple. That's a long train. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. Two covered his face. Two his feet. And two he flew. And, and, and they cried and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. The house was filled with smoke. Our problem is, is we don't put God in His proper position. He's high and lifted up. And just, just take a second. Think about that. Have you ever just thought about being in the presence of God in that way? And, and it'd be pretty strange to see the seraphim with, with six, uh, six wings, three pairs of wings. It'd be strange to see that. But, but I'm convinced this morning that you probably wouldn't get so caught up in that. I, I, I think you would divert your eyes more to where God is. God's glory is something. God's glory is real. And God's glory is not just for Old Testament, but it's for today. When you come into God's house on a Sunday morning, God wants to reveal His glory. Tommy had a bunch of gems today. I've already mentioned him once. I'm going to mention him again. And he shared something he shared at the nursing home, I guess, today. about And I don't know if he had ever read it quite this way. But it's when um, Moses came to God's presence and he came back down to the people when he came down from the mountain and he had to put a what on his face? 
a veil. Had to put a veil on us. Why? Because Moses had seen God. Now let me preface that, because the Scripture says no, no man has seen God at any time or he'd die, basically. Let's paraphrase. But he caught a glimpse of God. Did you know what Moses saw? What was it? He saw the backside, and I don't mean that in an irreverent manner, but he saw the hind part, a back view of God. That's what he saw. And church, I want you to know that seeing a back view of God was enough to light him up. He saw the backside of God. And he glowed. And he put the veil over his face. And there's a lot of things you could say about that. The people couldn't take it. It was so bright. Or maybe he put the veil over so it wouldn't be a distraction and they would concentrate on the Word. I, there's probably a lot of different things and maybe many of them are true. I'm just blown away by the fact, and thanks a lot for bringing it back to my mind, but I'm just blown away by the fact that you could catch the back glimpse of God and that glory would shine off you. And then I'm concerned because many times we leave God's house and we're not shining. We're not shining. Why is that? I, I know that God doesn't work the same way every time and I know there have been times in my life that I have been close to God and I've never shown. But I'd like the opportunity and maybe not to visibly glow, but maybe my life would glow. Because when we leave, hopefully we're emanating, we're glowing something that isn't ourselves. I, in other words, I hope that when you share what happened in church service with your friends and other people today, it's okay to, to share with them if I told a funny joke, because it happens so rarely. Go ahead and help yourself. But I hope that the most important thing you take from a servant a service is not some story or illustration or a joke, but that you can share the very word that God shared with you today. Sure, tell them what songs we sung. Tell them how good the choir sounded. Tell them all that stuff, but share with them how God talked to you today. If we're attracted people to a service because of our worship style, we are wrong. If we're trying to invite people to our church because our preacher is young and vibrant and still has some hair, we are wrong. I say we're wrong. And yet, when people try to get folks to come to church, they talk about their young preacher, they talk about their choir, their music program. Why don't we make it a habit just say, you need to come to church because God's there. That'd scare them away. To do all that. And miss God. Scripture says here, that the seraphim said, Holy, holy, holy 
I want to share with you that if it's in your vocabulary, and I've had to battle it from time, things like holy cow, that type of stuff. Why don't you kind of think about that? And why don't you kind of reserve holy for who holy is? And no, I'm not telling you that fire's going to fall on you or any of that kind of stuff. But we ought to reserve holy like we reserve awesome. Remember when we studied that, that awesome should be reflected and really connected to just God. And yet we make what our lunch is going to be awesome. There's one little girl in the service, I think it was Lexi, that somebody said something about awesome. And this has happened when they first came about a year ago. Somebody said awesome and she said, uh uh only God's awesome. Somebody learned something. I can go on another year because she learned that. See, we won't do that. Sometimes it takes a six or seven year old or ever how old she is to say, uh uh-uh. uh. When's the last time you told somebody, uh uh-uh, uh, for the cause of God? I am so off track. Then I'm going to keep on going. I'm not apologizing, Andrew. Trust me. God's holy and worthy of reverence. Second one. Man is totally unworthy to stand before Him. Isaiah figured that out pretty quick. He got before God and he said that, that the, it was smoky and, and the post shook. His ears were engaged, his eyes, his nostrils, he, everything, all the senses were engaged. And he knew something was different because he was in God's presence. See, we come to church, and I know we don't have it quite that way, but we just saunter in this place and plop down like it's nobody's business, like we're, we're going to see a ball game. We just jump in here any way we want to, we just do whatever we want to, and hurry up, God, let's get this on. I need you to understand something. God don't work when you say, let's get it on. And you better be careful. Did you know that in the Old Testament, people who worshipped in false ways, who, who offered strange worship before God, did you know what happened to those people? They died. God knows how to handle it when we don't worship properly. God knows what to do when we don't offer the right praise, the right sacrifice. God knows what to do. I'm glad He's merciful and don't kill us every time, but I want you to know He could. He might say, this is heavy. I don't want to hear this. Let's talk about mercy. Let's talk about grace. Let's talk about love. In church today, I'm talking about God. All the good things we ascribe to God, the love, the mercy, and all that stuff, He is also a God of justice. Also a God of righteousness. He is also a holy God. And you'll not get the God of love without getting the God of holiness. When you take God, you take Him for all that He is. Or you don't take Him. 
We can pick and choose in our life. We, we, can, we can order things with certain features that we want. We, we can go to a buffet and get this and that, but leave the green stuff on the side. But I want you to know something, that when you take God, you're going to take all of God, or you're going to leave Him. And man is totally unworthy to stand before Him. Isaiah came face to face with the reality of his unworthiness. And I'm convinced that you and I have to do that too. He realized he was a sinner. His lips couldn't praise. He couldn't say enough good stuff. And look at what he says. Woe is me, for I'm undone. In other words, it's over. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell... Oh, that whole line there, I dwell in the midst of the people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah, at that moment, does not have any hope. Do you understand that? In Isaiah's mind, in Isaiah's thought, he doesn't know about Jesus, he doesn't know about grace, he knows he's before God, he sees what he is, and he says, I'm, it's it, I'm history. He doesn't say, oh, I know you're going to come back, Lord. No, he says, it's it! I am undone! And he has no hope until the angel comes with the tongs. He says, here, let me fix you. This is from the Lord. But Isaiah had no hope when he said the words. You still remember, don't you, that you are hopeless apart from God? You still have enough of that dose of humility to know that if God wanted to, He could snuff you out and damn you to hell for all eternity. You do understand that. If you're saved, He won't. But God could. We don't have a respect of God. We don't have a reverence of God. We don't have a fear of God. I want to share with you today that I'm afraid of God. I'm supposed to be afraid of God. Not in a terrified, oh, it's over, it's over, but I'm afraid to get on God's bad side. Do you have somebody in your life that you're afraid to get on their bad side? Don't look at your spouse. Do you have somebody that you're afraid to get on their bad side? I want to tell you, they're nothing compared to getting on God's bad side. And I want you to know that you can get on God's bad side. Man is totally unworthy to stand before Him. Last principle is this. God has provided a way to purge your sin. You look at that through verse 6 and 7. And I'm not going to go back and read it. But you see that they took the live coal from the altar. That symbolizes blood purification. It symbolizes the blood. And that the fire of the Spirit that enabled Him to speak. It's what it symbolizes. And there had to be a sacrifice. Of course, we know that's Jesus. When we look at the Hebrew word for purge, it means to cover. So when your sin has been purged, your sin has been covered. The blood has covered your sin. And I'm glad for that today. I'm grateful that God provides salvation for us to come. So that brings us back to the church. And being in a service. I've got to say this very carefully because I don't want it to come out wrong. A church service is primarily for 
a Christian. Now, some of your, your, your radar have gone off and you're saying, wait a minute, we're supposed to be evangelistic and we're supposed to be bringing lost people in here. Stay with me and don't shoot me yet. But a church service is primarily for a Christian. Because it's a time of hearing from God. It's a time of praising God. It's a time of getting close to God. And someone who is not saved, a lost person, can't do that simply because they're lost. Not because we're trying to exclude them. Not because, because on the contrary, we're trying to bring them in. On the contrary, we're trying to get them to the point where the church service will mean something to them because they'll be saved. And yes, a lost person can get something out of a church service. They can hear the message. How many have? Amen? They can hear the message. They, they can get, make a connection. But most of what goes on in a church service is the praise lifted up from you Christians, those that are, lifted up to God Almighty. A church service is not for us to come and mark off time Say we've been here. Just shake hands. Just fellowship. I'm glad that we fellowship and I'm glad that we talk and I'm glad we spend time with one another. But if I come into this house and don't talk to one person, but I'm so focused on hearing from God, I guarantee you He'd be pleased with that. Now, no, I'm not planning on sliding anybody. I'm not planning on being stuck up. That, I'm not, not what I'm saying. But if I don't get to shake hands with every person, and I'm not talking about me as a pastor, because i got to do that, but you'll catch that on the way home. But, but if I don't make the connection, i still got to make the connection with God. I'm going to challenge you all year long until you get it. Until I get it. Think about being in church in a different way. Think about being in here and what it really means. Think about the ways we distract ourselves and others. I know by the end of the year, you're liable to, you may want to throw a songbook at me. Help yourself. I'm more nimble than I look. But by the end of the year, you may be tired of that, but that's okay. Because we're going to get it in our minds. That coming to God's house is coming to God. We're going to get that. I ask you to bow your heads as they come to prepare the invitation. God, here we stand, and here I stand before you, and I submit what I just preached and said to you. God, I pray that everything was true and everything was from you. God, if I need to eliminate any of it, prompt my mind. Otherwise, God, I'll let it stand for Your Word today. Speak to our hearts. Share Your heart with us. And God, help us to come before You and mean business. We love You. We thank You for all that You've done in your precious name. Amen.